Hi everyone! Welcome to this episode of Doctors Who Create. My name is Darlena Liu. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Hoda, who is a bone and soft tissue pathologist at NYU and a creative extraordinaire. In this episode, he shares a little bit more about his creative path to medicine and gives his advice on how others can maintain balance in their own lives. A big part of his philosophy is this idea of person first in medicine. Yeah, the the person first thing is something really, really central to my like daily mantra, and it and I think it we all kind of feel that that's ma- like central to our living way before medicine, right? Like when we're a kid, when we're a teenager, um, you don't even think about these things when you're a kid because you just think yes. I'm a person, you know, like that's like kind of like your thing. And as you get older and more complicated and like add different um, degrees to your name and different qualifications and different talents, then you start to get uh, sort of redefined as a person who can do XXX and a person who can do ABC and a person who has these skills and these prior experiences. But is that really the person you are? Probably not. You know, like there's a reason why childhood is like so special to most people and so impactful. And I think it's that the the person you are then is very undiluted. Um, you know, you sure you might be a student walking into school, but you don't carry any burdens with you. You don't carry any expectations that you're gonna, you know, do this for society or that for other people or you know have a family that you're trying to like manage on your own. You know, those kind of things. You're just a person. And I think carrying that spirit of being a person is something that is very underrated. And I wonder when that changes. You know, you mentioned when you're a kid, you just, there's no question about it. You are a person first. But when does that moment happen where someone might not necessarily feel that way? Like, I was just thinking back and I feel like probably when you're entering higher education, I feel like for me, I'm reflecting back, like that's when I would introduce myself as like, oh, I'm a college student, I'm a student here. And that label suddenly becomes attached where it, it wasn't previously. Isn't it? I think you're totally right. I think it's like the, the time in which you're trying to prove to somebody your merits or, you know, like maybe when we're getting admission to stuff or trying to apply for something, you know, that's kind of when we start to create a nice profile, you know, like, like a sellable profile to somebody about who Darlena is. You know, like you create a CV or a resume and you package it up like a deal. And like, is that the real Darlena that's being sold (laughs) on a piece of paper? (laughs) And in medicine, you have to do it so many times when you're applying to med school, applying to residency, applying to fellowship, applying for your first attending job. Uh, And the reason why I always mention it, Darlena, in medicine is that, and you can probably relate to this, is that we end up getting very complicated um, through education and through experiences and stuff. So I started to realize that nobody was mentioning the concept of, you know, when I was in, and and you tell me if you've heard this before as well, you might have. um, I remember several physicians when I was in med school tell me that medicine is not just a you know, job or a career, it kind of becomes who you are. Um, And, you know, it's something you're a doctor, even when you're at home, you know, going to sleep or walking down the street. And in many ways, I can relate to that. But it also offends me in some way that, that I can't escape my career, 
Is that something is that something that we were trying to be taught? And I don't know, have you ever heard anything like this before? I have heard this. I almost feel like there's a generational shift in a way where I, I feel like I've heard these from attendings or, you know, back when I was pre-med and shadowing, I heard that advice being passed along to me. But I would say in my experiences going through medical school, like talking with my peers, I feel like something has shifted where I, I don't hear that as frequently. The interesting thing is, um, I mean, I look at I look at our culture, and you're you're starting off, you know, uh, now in your training and you know in the hospital, and you'll kind of see that it's easy to be overwhelmed by medical culture. Like medical culture is very sort of um, you know it reaches out very deeply into like your days and how you schedule your life and how you you know take vacations and how you do everything. Especially in residency, <laughs> where we know our whole year schedule. I know exactly which two weeks of vacation I have. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. And like, I, it might be in your, in your residency that like, oh, you have to take your vacation at the same time. You know, you can't take like scattered days. You got to take it in blocks and things like that, right? So it really tries to affect you like living as a person. I mean, I, I think that it really does try to control certain parts of you. I've been having this conversation lately that um, people check their emails constantly at home, like from, from their work. And I don't understand why, because you're not gonna actually do anything probably. You're not on service, you're not on call, but people have gotten into this habit of like checking it uh, for no reason and like trying to like see what's going on. But I've asked several people as like, a, I do these little experiments in my life you know, just to see what people say about reacting to like, you know, what do you actually check when you check your email? Most of them say, oh, I just checked to see if somebody's asking about a case. I was like, well, are you going to act on the case when you're at home? They're like, no, no, no. So why are you checking, right? <laughs> it's almost this like compulsion, I feel like nowadays when we have social media and everything's just on your phone at your fingertips and you see that notification, there's something I feel like addicting about just checking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little red one or a little red check or something there that's going to grab your attention. But, um, but that's how the, the, the person thing came about like that. And, you know, I'm always, I always love hearing people's perspectives because I had, I hosted a clubhouse like a couple of months ago about this um, with a psychiatrist out of Chicago um, named Demetrios Satiris, who's, who's also really good. He's, you know, he looks at, he, he, he posts a lot on social media about like, psychology and you know like uh, the self and stuff like that and it was like a really fascinating conversation and most of the doctors who were on there said that they're struggling with um you know creating like through their medical school and their education they struggle to to sort of make themselves stronger as a person you know and and instead it's the career that kind of takes over many aspects of their 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 life so i think that this is a really common kind of thread running through all different ages for different reasons and different things. And I, I and you know, it's very encompassing and I can see what the draw is. There, there's a big draw to, um, it's hard to freestyle your way through your life. It's much easier to have some structure where like, oh, my next goal is this level or my next goal is getting residency or my next goal is taking my USMLE or my next school is applying for associate professor. You know, like it creates these brackets. Like it's easier to, to climb a building when you know where the stairways are rather than you just kind of roaming around looking for ways to get higher, you know, through a building. So 
Um, I think that the, that those titles and that stuff kind of provides that, but is it fair? Uh, and is it like, is it sustainable? You know, is that is that something? I and and I don't know the answers actually. You know, I just ask the questions. Do you feel like that describes what your journey has been? Has it been like the steps of the ladder going up, or have there been detours along the way? Okay, so I think this goes to the center of of uh, of what I identify myself as. So in the context of like the childhood and stuff that we were talking about, I have a really strong belief that um, that people are taught through childhood to conform to a, a series of things, you know, whether it's to read the same books, whether it's to understand a play in the same way, uh, to watch a movie in the same way. And I think that conformity creates some sort of like, a, you know, an overall profile that people can share. Um, and I have felt, um, in my in my process to become where I am now. And now I'm, you know, I, I think I'm entering my 10th year of practice as an attending. So I've had some time to go through this process and watch. Um, I took a path of high resistance. So I, I realized very early on that I'm going to be a very miserable person if I alter what I am to get to, you know, where I am today. Um, had I have altered it greatly, I think it would have taken me somewhere else. Um, farther away from my ethos, you know? And I think that conformity cycle continues through med school, through, you know, training, et cetera. Um, but it takes a lot of effort to not, to not conform certain parts of your life. And I think that's where I saw people um, leave that, you know, like I have friends who are very, like very creative people who went through this process who are now absolutely distanced from that creativity. They are nowhere, you know, they're physicians, they're nowhere to be found in their, in their daily lives or even in their monthly or yearly lives. And I find that very tragic. Um, so my road took a very high path of resistance in which, you know, it's not easy to resist things. You often get in trouble too, and you often find yourself in being challenged and people wondering, you know, doubting whether you're committed to things. But you know, sometimes you have to go through those processes in order to, to, to sort of find your right balance of being able to do whatever you want to do. So that's, that's kind of my story of going through medical education and training and being an attending. Every step they try to, you know, <laughs> bring you back to the, to the norm. And that's interesting because you were also talking about creativity as being this innate thing that you unleash from, from within, right? So in that sense, do you feel like when you're thinking about colleagues who entered maybe medicine, a very creative person and had it squashed out of them, like, is it more that it, they, they still have possessed that inner creativity and it's just being blocked in a certain way or? You know, I'm not a child development person, nor am I any, any, I don't pretend to be that, but I do have very strong personal beliefs that everybody is born creative. I don't think that there are, there is a huge difference in talent and ability. And, you know, we always get this notion that like, oh, um, this person is uh, really talented at music, like since they were a child. I completely disagree with that idea. And I, having been a musician, I know how much, how things evolve when you play a lot of music um, versus not play a lot of music. I absolutely think that if, say Darlene Alu today woke up and said, you know what, I really wanna be a painter. I really wanna be a painter. And for months she would be like, no, I don't think I have it in me to be a painter. I don't think I have it in me. And the thing is, is we're like trained almost to accept that, no, I don't have the ability, you know, some people just have this ability to go out there and paint these amazing things. 
But I can assure you, if you spent and dedicated your time for months and years or whatever it took to like do it over and over and over again and accept the fact that you're not starting off with great ability, um, I think that you unleash it, like you said. You, you, have, you have it in you, but it's suppressed. It's, it's mm-hmm. locked up because we lock it up. It's not that anybody else does. At some point, we're like, you know, I'm not going to be like, I tried to become an actor once years ago. It's crazy, crazy audition. It was for like an alcoholic father who like beats his children. It was like bizarre. It was in Detroit. Uh, back then I had like really scraggly messed up hair and stuff. So I went to this interview, never done acting before. I thought I would be amazing at it. Um, I wasn't. <laughs> you know, that was horrible. <laughs> but, but what I learned that day was that I could probably do it if I, if I really like tried it over and over again and learned some ideas and like, thought about it, worked on it and stuff. It's that I stopped myself after that from saying that like, no, you're, you're not an actor. Like a learned helplessness, like, oh, I, I can't do that because I haven't done it before. That is a really great point because I've seen those like YouTube videos of people who can't dance and then they like dedicate themselves to like an hour of dance a day. And by the end of the year, they're a fantastic dancer. So I feel like there's so many examples of that you can see online. Um, and if you think of it in other ways, like we go to school for so many things to learn these skills. Med school's four years for a reason, right? So it's not like people are in, born naturally knowing all of these things or how to how to be a doctor, but you learn those things. And you know, and you know, other people can enable it too. So some people have the advantage of a of a parent or a you know a friend or somebody who can enable these people to like display their you know or work on it or whatever, you know, like. My father, for example, was a very non-artistic person. Like, you know, he's still alive, but he, he has no innate, like, understanding or desire to, like, understand anything creative, like, in terms of art or music or writing or anything. I mean, he reads a lot of books, but they're all, like, science and history and stuff. My mother, on the other hand, who I grew up watching all day long, sitting in front of, like, record players and, like, you know, cassette players, taping songs off the radio, you know, like she kind of enabled me to explore that side of it. So I think everybody needs an enabler. It's very difficult to like have nobody encouraging you, you know, that that's like a reasonable option to try. Or like, you know, if I wanted to paint, she would be like, oh, that's really cool. He would be like, why are you wasting your time? Right, so so (laughs) a lot of us have both people saying, why are you wasting your time? Which makes it almost impossible. Like how would you possibly deal with that kind of like suppression, you know? Right, especially at an early age where you don't have as much agency in exploring things without parents supporting. Would you say it's your mother's influence that got you to be more creative and like what specific um, things have you explored? It sounds like you tried your hand at acting and also photography and other things. I don't want to stress acting because it was only one really bad option. No, I, I, um, my priority since I was a kid was to come up with ways, you know, like you go with what makes you happy, right? And so the things that always made, always made me happy were, um, you know, drawing pictures, um, you know, listening to tons of, like I am even still like um, floating in sound, you know, like I've always, for me, everything is sound. Like I do a lot of photography um, and I was on a camera chat like a few months ago, like a photographer's chat. and. And the way I look at photos is through sound. So I have an idea that like, for me, everything is a sound. So when I see a photograph, for me, it's a sound. Um, and, and, you know, everybody has different ways of sensory 
input. And I think that uh, when you evolve certain things, like when you do listen to a ton of music since you were a child, you eventually enhance that side of your sensory input, right? So everything of mine is adjusted to that, that idea. But, you know, recently I started to, uh, you know, in the last five years, I've started writing a lot more. I've always written poems, like since I was 10, like thousands, I have thousands and thousands of poems uh, since I was a kid in notebooks uh, written away. My mom keeps them all in like storage in Detroit. Um, and I, you know, it's just one of those things that I felt that you open that channel and I never closed the channel. So, um, and it was okay because it wasn't really for anybody else. Um, it was it was mainly for me. And, I, and I, you know, if anyone else saw it or was exposed to it, then fine. Uh, but it's not that I was, you know, I've never sold any of it as a product. You know, I have sold, I mean, I've sold music as a product, but but it wasn't as a product, you know, it was, it was made for myself. It wasn't really made for anyone. And I could see it complementing one another. You were talking about the images with the sound and also just like the sound of words too and how that all meshes together. Does it translate over into your professional work when you look at images and pathology? Does that also correspond with sound? I actually totally think so. Um, and I don't know if there's like a really reasonable or logical medical way to explain it. Uh, you know, because we, we live in a very, you know, our profession is such a evidence-based, um, you know, very concrete kind of thing. Like if you went to a conference and heard it talk about this, then you know this, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, I, and I feel that there is an intuitiveness that doesn't get spoken about. And, you know, one of the things Darlene, I wanted to make sure I talked to you about is, is the culture in modern medicine. And, and I think that, like you're saying, this is improving a lot, but hundreds of years ago, like a hundred or 200 years ago, physicians, were people who went to um, debates. They went to discussions. They went to local town hall meetings. They had like, you know, they had a lot to say. They were commentary people who like discussed the news and events and stuff. You kind of see this these days, you know, if you go to social media and you watch physicians getting involved in the public discourse. The problem is they're, they're not approaching it. It's, it's not that we're viewed as intellectuals in that way anymore. You know, we're, it kind of looked like, and I've seen doctors being told to stay in their lane, um, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting thing. And I, and I feel we built that house for ourselves um, because we did for so long stay away from the public discourse. And most of the 1900s, I think, physicians were pretty much moved further and further away from being involved in art and literature and science. And of course it was still going on. We still had humanities and arts, and, but it wasn't like a priority, you know, like it was never a priority. And you probably know that in the 1800s and stuff, you know, painters, artists, they were, a lot of them were physicians, writers. They were, they were very scientific. Science and art were way more intermingled than they, you know, became later. And I think when I think of myself, I think I try to, and we are what we create too. We are not just who we are, but you know, I, I tried to aim into that direction that like, I would like to take it back to a place where I'm not struggling to fight these two. Like I want them to coexist uh, in the same person. It doesn't have to mean that everything I do that's creative is medical related. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, almost none of my stuff is medical related like the creative stuff, but occasionally, you know, if it crosses over then great. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that's the, I don't know if that makes any sense or if that just sounded like incoherent or 
That makes a lot of sense. I actually hadn't, I didn't know that much about the history of the role of physicians in the 1800s, but I would imagine that people were more like Renaissance people. Whereas now I think we're more and more siloed and I think it's more about like publishing and the academic journals, but I feel because that's what's prioritized. So then I think people don't spend as much time on those other things because as we were talking about, like you're compiling your resumes to apply to things and what are the things that people value the most and it oftentimes isn't those creative humanities pursuits. So I guess then what people choose to do with their free time reflects that. So yeah, but it is promising because I think, especially at NYU, I always felt like we had a pretty robust medical humanities program. That was something that I thought was a nice refuge from, from the demands of medical school. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and I think these things are improving a lot. Um, when I was, you know, I trained from 2006 to 2010. Um, there wasn't much discussion that I noticed in like medical culture then about creative stuff or, you know, doctors doing anything outside of medicine, you know, and it was. Is it different as an attending on the other side? Like once you're done with the, the residency and fellowship stuff, is it, do you feel like you have more of a, a flexibility? So, so I think this is the, this is the, an interesting question because I, 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 I think I tried to make myself flexible even during residency, during that's, you know, med, med school, it's tough, right? Like, I mean, you study till late and you're like, you know, you want to pass everything and make sure you're done. In residency, sometimes the schedule isn't up to you, you know, but, but you do the best you can. Um, and I think what I did was remind myself, um, and this is why I write this stuff, you know, yesterday, I think on Twitter, I wrote about the the making sure that um, you prioritize the person. Yeah. And, and the reason why I say that is that people forget, like they, the work, you know, in residency, you'll be on shift till eight or 9 p.m. and then you come home and then people are like, oh, I gotta be ready for something for tomorrow for work. Um, but I actually, I'm the type of person who feels that if you take an hour or two for yourself, instead of doing that prep for the work, um, worst case scenario, you haven't prepped for the work, but I think it's worth the, the cost um, to, to get some time for yourself because it, these days compound, you know, like that one day you put aside for only work and not you at all. That's fine. It's just one day, but the next day it happens again. And the next day it happens again. And soon you have this pattern where mm -hmm. you feel very distant from being able to stretch for yourself rather than stretch for your job or for your training. And I think that this is a huge trap in medicine. I've seen people suffer because of it. Um, and I think one of the things that I feel that I always talk about is that I did sometimes take a hit in not being ready for something like some case preview for the next day or whatever. Like I sometimes took a hit and maybe my attending would be a bit disappointed for 10 minutes, you know, that I didn't read up about it. But in the long run, you know, like in the long run, I made some time for myself and I kept myself a little bit happier. And, you know, I dealt with it as it came. And yeah, I mean, I've realized, Arlena, that no, even our attendings don't know, you know, so much stuff. <laughs> you know, they're sticking <laughs> to this idea of asking you the question. But, but, you know, I, as an attending of 10 years, I'm still learning constantly. This is not like a four-year training where you learn everything and then you're mm -hmm. out free to like know everything, you know? You'll right. be learning all your life. So, 
and then the medicine changes. Yeah, this residency <laughs> yeah. like sprint concentration idea. I don't know where it came from that like you must pressurize all of it. Like, okay, yeah, I understand. Like you want to learn as much as you can. But to stretch every moment and lose your time and lose your person to do that, I don't think is worth it at all. I really love that reminder as someone who's about to start intern year. So it's really great timing. I love that you brought it up. Yeah, I don't understand. Like nobody ever talked about it. I, I mean, we went through residency and med school and, you know, they give you these wellness things and like everybody knows the right stuff to say, right? Like if you're having any problems, yeah, of course. Like I encourage all of that. You know, if anyone's having problems to go talk to people, et cetera, it's all good stuff. But why isn't it like they teach you so much but they never teach you that it's okay to like, you know, feel comfortable sometimes or like, you know, I, I, I mean, I, it's like a, such a basic thing. Mm -hmm. I think it maybe goes back to this whole thing about like the professional identity and how it sometimes supersedes or over takes over the personal identity. And I feel like we see it sometimes when there are um, things like on Twitter, like the whole med bikini thing and how, you know, wearing a bikini isn't considered as a doctor, you're not allowed to do these like human things and it's not considered acceptable. And I think that's because a lot of people are like viewing physicians with this physician first mentality and not that they're, they're person first. I think it all ties together. I saw a post like a few weeks ago by a physician saying, sorry for the non-medical post, but here's a photo of my pasta. And I was like, I was like, this is crazy that <laughs> you have to apologize. <laughs> apologize for a non-medical post about like pasta and so wow. I replying and being like you don't ever have to apologize for posting a photo of your food um instead of posting about like renal clearance or something right like there's, there's right. Like, no I don't know where this comes from like that's why I love your Twitter account it's it's always very balanced <laughs> I I actually decided Darlene I was like but when I get home and if I'm sitting on the couch and my kids watching tv and I'm looking at Twitter I don't want to do medicine anymore. You know, like that's the last thing I want to do is to like sit and do more medicine. So this is what happened during coronavirus. And, you know, COVID changed a lot of things. But if you look at my tweets from before coronavirus, January, February, I looked at them recently. It was like all pathology. I was like a different person. And I think that because I, I only joined Twitter like less than two years ago, like a year and a half ago. And that's what I saw people doing. So I was like, oh, this, this is what Twitter is for, for like physicians. And then I realized during COVID was crazy. Like, I think you might've been on that too, the patient family connect stuff. Like I did the family. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I did that for two months. And after that, I was like a changed person. I was like, this is insane. I'm not gonna, you know, like life has so many things to discuss and I have so many things to discuss. You know, like I, I can't just like, you know, post what a lipoma is and like in, in someone <laughs> the rest of my days. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. And then when you also mentioned being on Clubhouse, do you feel like on Clubhouse, are you, is that more medical for you or have you been able to connect with all sorts of people? I started um, some groups on Clubhouse. They were called, they were called um, Riot Medicine. So there's a group called Riot Medicine, which is like an attempt to let people express themselves. Because I think lack of expression is like one of the biggest chokeholds in, in, in medical culture is that People just don't know who to express it to, how to express it. You know, they're worried that they say something um, like off, but I think that it's, there's a little bit too much paranoia, you know, like, um, 
and as long as you're you're caring for people in the way that we are supposed to do, then that you know I think it's within the realm to like express yourself and say what you feel. Um, everybody has a right to do that. So I started these little clubs there to do that. Um, and one of them was about like medical culture, like what's wrong with medical culture. And a lot of people like all these, you know, med students came and like, it was really nice. They were like, you know, we don't have a place to say these things like normally. And it makes me very sad. Um, but also I feel that we need more of it. I'm not sure I'm the right person to always, like, I don't always feel like talking about this either. <laughs> like it's, it's like it's very saturated. It's not like I, I don't want to, like, as they say, I don't want to die on this hill of like changing medical <laughs> culture. But I just feel that, you know, a scattered discussion of it, I think is worthwhile. So Clubhouse mm -hmm. was good. I did, I did some, uh, no, I did other things. I did like these photographer things, which was awesome because the photographer ones, they like get you on and they say, okay, change your profile pic to a cool photo that you want to share. And then you, then you change your profile pic to a photo. And then when you're talking, everybody's looking at your profile pic to like see what your photo looks like. So it's, it's very interesting, like a creative way to do. Nice. Yeah. People have gotten quite creative. It sounds People like. People get very creative, but it, it is, um, you know, it's a little weird. Like one night I was on some chat at like midnight, and my family's sleeping. I'm like huddled against the wall somewhere, like trying to talk. <laughs> it just felt kind of creepy. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the day I stopped using buttons for a while. <laughs> it's a little weird. Yeah balance with all things yeah i wanted to thank you so much for spending your afternoon talking a little bit more about medicine and creativity with me here and i think a lot of people will resonate with what you have have said so um is there any last parting words of wisdom you have for maybe those interns out there about to start i really think that um feel free to say no to things you don't have to impress everyone all the time. You know, like one of the things is that everybody wants to be a pleaser and get on the right track and, you know, make everybody happy. But, you know, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say, I need some time. Um, you know, it's okay to resist a little bit. And I, and I think that um, it's almost healthy to resist a little bit. Um, so one of the biggest mistakes I see in first year, you know, I train residents and I work with a ton of residents in other non-path specialties. Um, and, you know, you just don't have to do the yes thing to everything. From med student to residency, I feel like that's one of the biggest switches that need to be flipped. I mean, don't get in trouble, Darlene. I mean, I'm not telling you. <laughs> Arrive there you know, and like, I'll nope. just tell my program director, Dr. Hoda, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining you walking in and being like nope I'm not doing any of that <laughs> I mean this is the last thing just the last thing I want to say is there's a framing that has helped me and that framing is that medicine joined the rest of my life it didn't replace the rest of my life so um, I'm still the nine-year-old kid I'm still the 17-year-old kid I'm still the 22-year-old in college I'm still all of those things um, it didn't replace them. It just joined it. So I, I think that those are important things to remember that you don't lose that past, you add to it. I love that. That's the perfect quote to end on. Thanks so much again. Oh, if people want to follow you on Twitter. My handle is not cool or easy to remember. So, <laughs> so, but it is, I mean, it makes sense to me, but nobody else. Zero one. Um, STH are my initials, STH, Sai, Tihoda, and then it's zero two. So, 
STH is between 01 and 02. That's the okay. So people can look out for you there. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.